Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Ladder Side of Baseball. This is Jamie Retzke. As we talked about last time, year six. Man, where do the time fly? Year six. I might have said year five last time, but this we went back, we counted, and this is, in fact, the sixth exciting year of On the Ladder Side of Baseball on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. I love Spotify. I love to say Spotify. So anyway, we got baseball started. We have spring training. The Cubs are off to their usual hot start in spring training, going after another title in the Cactus League, which means absolutely nothing. And uh, then uh, come April, uh, they seem to uh, lose their momentum. But maybe it's the fact that they're playing in 80-degree weather in Scottsdale, and uh, they come back and face some 35- and 40-degree weather. Although I got to say... Uh, Since we got back from the great state of California, where it did nothing but rain, it has been beautiful here. Got a little snow last night, but uh, it's going to be 70 tomorrow, 70 on Tuesday, 65 on Wednesday. I have to maybe go out and play a little uh, you-know-what, but we're here to talk baseball, and uh, we are going to have an exciting spring getting ready for opening day with the Texas Rangers and the Cubs um, in Arlington Stadium, they'll get their rings, the Cubs won't, they'll fly a championship flag, the Cubs won't, and uh, it'll be off to the races with um, Bruce Bochy uh, at the helm of the Texas Rangers, and uh, we'll talk about, we're going to go division by division, we're going to do the central divisions of both leagues soon, and then we'll go do the west of each league, and then the east, we'll look at expansion, We'll look at the new rules. We'll look at some of the uh, teams that seem to do pretty well in the offseason, and especially the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, If if there was a commissioner that had any control, Mighty Manfred has no control. Mighty Manfred is uh, a weak sister. But he makes a lot of money, and he announced he's going to grudgingly stepped down from the job as a commissioner in uh, 2029. Yeah. You guys keep paying me $30 million a year, and I'm going to only do it for five more years. And then, you know what? I've had enough. I've had enough. Hopefully I can exist on uh, what's left from $150 million paid to me for doing virtually, I don't know what, the... Uh, TV is going to be interesting since Bally Sports is in bankruptcy. Uh, will the major league prevail and get it? I mean, what is going on? Will streaming become more and more the norm? Will the playoffs, will they sell out to the streaming like the NFL did, where I get ready to watch the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Miami Dolphins? And oops, we don't get the game. It's Peacock Plus. Oh, I thought I had Peacock. Well, you do, but you don't have Plus. No game. Now, for 20 bucks, you'd get the game and a six-month subscription to Pecan Plus. Peacock. Pe- Pecan on my chocolate sundae. Nah, I didn't want to do that. Give me a break, you know? It's bad enough you got to listen to Al Michaels on Prime Network do football. Al, go get a sailboat. Sail off into the sunset. You're a great announcer. It's your time. You're not like Bob Euchre, who can go on forever and sound just as good as ever. Now, 
That may have something to do with the fact that for many, many, many years, and I believe now, Al uh, Michael seems to be uh, pretty big on Marlboro. But, hey, he's still got a pretty good voice for all the times he smokes. I can't, uh, you know, Jack, not Jack Buck, but the guy that um, that <clears throat> was with Jack Buck, and then I uh, maybe Joe Buck, Mike Shannon, every time there was a break in action, he'd light up. You know, his voice wasn't very good, but it wasn't because of smoking, I don't think. Anyway, you know, I have my favorite announcers. We like Tom Hamilton. We love Dwayne Stats, and we really love Bob Uecker. Um Pat Hughes is great, but um, <clears throat> it's on the radio. Boog, scampy, shrimp scampy. Uh, man. He just doesn't do it for me listening to the Cubs game. But, hey, I can turn the sound down, and uh, that's fine. I do that for all of the playoff games that have anything to do with Tony Romo. I mean, could the guy be any more on the take with anybody playing the Chiefs than Tony Romo? Oh, my God. I thought he was going to cry when the, uh, the Chiefs looked like they were going to go in. They had first and goal at the four in overtime before the uh, touchdown pass from uh, – Mahomes to uh, Hardwick, uh, I thought I thought Tony was just going to cry. I mean, he just couldn't believe it. I mean, as much as he strategized and tried to help the 49ers and talk up all the 49er players and and just love it when McCaffrey would, you know, run, run, run. That's what they need to keep doing. And I mean, dude, you're not a hometowner. And he even affected Nance. Nance started doing the same stuff. Nobody wanted the Chiefs. Now, now I take it there's a little turn in the giddy-up for those guys because it could be a three-peat, and they can sell a three-peat on TV. Yeah, well, the Chiefs three-peat. I think they will. I, I don't know. The only thing that could hurt the Chiefs is they sort of lulled themselves into this feeling that, you know, they could turn it on any time. And when they turned it on, everybody else was going to lose. And, and they sort of proved that theory, but I think they... I think, if anything, they didn't like winning the AFC somewhere other than at uh, Arrowhead or whatever they call Arrowhead, Giha Stadium at Arrowhead, or Arrowhead at Giha Stadium or Field. I don't know. If you pay enough, you know, if you pay enough, you can sell anything and people believe it. So that's what's going on with the Giha, whoever that's a health deal. Anyway. Should we keep talking football or should we get into a little bit of baseball? There's some fun things to talk about. Number one, the uniform fiasco. I mean, you guys probably haven't woken up yet to the fact that it's spring training and baseball's going on. Uh, but for those of you who care, and I think a lot of you do care, there has been a major brouhaha about the horrible, and I mean, I'm not even editorializing, the uniforms look like, you know, when I was a kid, there were there there was kind of a major league and a minor league of kids baseball, and I you know when I say my major league, I don't mean like whoa wow these guys are getting paid and uh, no, just, we had sanctioned little league, and there are a lot of places that don't have sanctioned little league like Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas, and Overland Park, Kansas. They don't have little league. They have some other trumped up deal, so they can't go to Williamsport. Ever, unless they go to watch the game. Yeah, they can go and pay money, get a ticket. But they can't be on the field because they can't have a team because they don't have Little League. 
we had little league, and then we also had like um, they didn't call it minor league; they they called it like boys baseball or something like that. And that was for the kids that just couldn't make couldn't make the grade up to the bigs, you know. Um, and so, yeah, really, it was kind of funny. And they wouldn't even get uniforms. Those guys would get blue jeans that from home that mom got for them. And then they would give them a T-shirt. And, I mean, now you go out to a little kid's park, and these guys have beautiful uniforms with their names on them. And the uniforms that I've seen on some traveling kids' baseball teams look better than what Nike and the Fanatics did to the uniforms for Major League Baseball. They're so bad. And the only players that are being remotely kind are the guys with the Nike contract. Like, they took a, they had a little um, message from Mike Trout about how great the uniforms feel. Now, when he, when he hears what he did and looks at what he did and figures out what he did in three weeks, he's going to be embarrassed. Not that he cares. Doesn't care what I think. Everybody's talking about the the white pants are see-through. So now, when they're highlights, some of the TV stations are you know f- f- fuzzying, uh, putting a little bit of blur in front of the guy's crotch. It's pretty funny. The quote of the day that I heard that was hilarious. I can't remember which player said it, but he he said that the, the uniforms look like they came from TJ Maxx. Now. Nothing against TJ Maxx. I'm fine. I'm sure it's a great store. But, I mean, you compare the quality of the – any, and they're all now they're all the same. They're, they're just cheap, cruddy, thin material, and you need binoculars to read the names on the back. They're minuscule. You compare that with what Nike did for the NFL. And the NFL jerseys, man, they rock. They're cool. I mean, they you pay two hundred and fifty for an uh, for a real game jersey and go get it signed by, you know, Patrick Mahomes for another four hundred bucks if you can find him. But the baseball jerseys are frigging embarrassing. They they look bad, they feel bad, and then the tiny little print on the back is like embarrassing. And supposedly they've sent them back. This was like a billion dollar deal. This was a huge deal. And Mighty Manfred apparently uh, didn't put anybody in charge of quality control. Now, he's going to find somebody that should have been in charge and fire their butt, but nobody could have been watching what Nike and Fanatics were doing. Now, Fanatics started out as a guy in, in, in the suburbs of Chicago who was successful at other ventures starting a memorabilia company, and of which they have a few of my dollars. I think I bought a, um, a bat signed by a few of the Cubs from the World Series, and then I went and took that bat, even though it's got a little gizmo that identifies it for all time, and I got other signatures on it. That was Fanatics. Then they started putting on shows, autograph shows, which, again, I spent my share of money at. Now... They do the hats, they do the uniforms, and they're in on it with Nike. And you get the whoosh because 
I don't think Fanatics has a whooshy F, but you get the message. Anyway, it's a joke, and they got bamboozled. Now, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but the uniforms are are really, really, you, you would expect to see these below high school. A high school kid would be embarrassed to wear this shirt, whatever you call them, blouse, uniform top, bad. And the pants are terrible. And you can't use last year's pants because the material's different and they, they won't allow it. It's crazy. So that's one funny thing going on. And follow that because it's an exciting development in Major League Baseball, don't you think? I mean, of all the things you can follow. Uh, the, uh, another hilarious thing is the Dodgers went out. They won 100 games last year or 104. And then they lost in the playoffs to the Padres or somebody. But what's hilarious is they spent, I don't know, a billion more dollars after they won 100 games. And if you look on SportTrack, which tracks the payroll of every team in every sport, if you look at baseball, SportTrack, MLB, year to year, you can see last year's payroll, this year's payroll. They've got the actual value assessed per contract, and they have the um, area where you break over the luxury tax, whatever they call it now. It's, they've changed the name a few times. But the amazing thing is the Dodgers, having spent a billion on top of being the third highest last year in payroll, they're seventh this year in payroll. And you, you say, what? What are you talking about? They have bamboozled the system as well. Not only did the system get bamboozled by Nike and uh, Fanatics, they got bamboozled by the Los Angeles Dodgers. And apparently they played by the rules by deferring a billion dollars worth of money to uh, Shohei, Shohei Me the Money, Otani, and the other guy they got from Japan. Now they have two guys, and they're paying them a billion dollars. And then they, they still signed, God only knows, and they've got Mookie and Freddie and Max. Um, you know, they, they, what they don't have is um, uh, Kershaw, which is kind of funny, but he'll probably sign with them. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of fun to follow that. Uh, we have new dogs. I got to tell you that uh, Harper and Machado are out of the doghouse. Number one, Machado's on a team that should have won the pennant last year, and they didn't. And, uh, you know, he tried hard, and he worked hard, so he, he got out of the doghouse. And then Harper, the same thing. He settled down. They put him at, third, at first base. He figured, hey, if Lou Gehrig played first base, I could play first base. And uh, so he's not... He's not a dog anymore. Um, I've got a few new dogs that that I think are worth watching, but um, I don't want to um, unveil them quite yet because I want to just follow their spring and see how much they belong in the dog pound, the lighter side of baseball's dog pound. Because there are a few. There are a few. And... Um, a lot of people want to put my good buddy Jerry Reinsdorf in the dog pound, uh, but I, I, I give him credit. I mean, he's becoming, trying to become, he's already the, the Houdini of 
the sports world. I mean, he is. He, the guy is phenomenally brilliant and phenomenally strategical, if that's a word, strategical, and phenomenally successful. Paid a hundred grand for the White Sox. Didn't pay much more for the Bulls. Made a ton of money on number twenty-three, Michael Jordan, who, by the way, didn't come back for the Bulls celebration of their five rings, but is back at the United Center tonight to welcome not a baseball player, not a football player, not a guy on the Bulls, but a guy on the Blackhawks, Chili. Chilios, Chris Chilios, they love him. The life of every party, they love him. He could have been the Harry Carey of the Chicago Blackhawks. So uh, Jordan's coming back for that. He didn't come back for Pippen. He didn't come back for uh, anything. Uh, didn't come back. Maybe Jerry Krause's widow wouldn't have been booed unmercifully if, if MJ had been there. Now, Jerry was smart enough to play the MJ game and not show up at that little celebration either. But here's what Jerry has done. Not only did he do brilliantly well buying the White Sox and the Bulls, and more brilliantly situated himself to where he would run both organizations, even without majority interest. That's classic. Very classic. And he did it uh, in a way that not only did he make money, but he was able to continue along in baseball as the game changed. The salaries changed. The advertising changed. The whole thing changed. And he rolled with the flow. God love him. I mean, um, he has had a rather checkered past with Chicago fans. He initially, nobody really knew much about him or Eddie Einhorn uh, when they headed the group that bought the White Sox. Uh, but, you know, he put together a couple good terms teams early on, and then... I can't remember what year it was, but he, the white flag year where he got rid of everybody, waved the white flag even though they were in like first place, had a chance to win. Also didn't really get any points in, uh, I believe it was 1994 maybe, when the Sox were cruising to a pennant and Jerry led the hardball tactics of the uh, MLB against the players' union and uh, the union went on strike, got locked out actually. And so... He didn't really earn a lot of big points there. Um, and then, and maybe before that, came the famous, I'm moving to Tampa Bay if you don't build me a new ballpark. And, of course, they built an ugly ballpark. He didn't want really any neighboring businesses around because he really wanted to make sure that the people, if they were going to eat and drink, which everybody at a baseball game typically does, he wanted to make sure that they did it in Side his own ballpark it makes sense to me. He he was, you know, able with his vision to buy a team, get the state to build him a stadium, even though it was just dreadful. Uh, get the state to renovate the dreadful stadium to make it not quite as dreadful. Abandon the name Comiskey Park, abandon the name Cellular Field, and go with guaranteed rate because. He got money from the naming rights of the stadium, even though the stadium belonged to the state of Illinois. Okay, Now, I may have some of my facts wrong. I really haven't gone to the library to dig in on all this. 
And everybody knows that I really, 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 really I enjoy my friendship with Jerry. Um, so he has done all that, and then lo and behold, a few days before his 88th birthday, he announces that he envisions leaving Guaranteed Rate Field, Cellular Field, Comiskey Park, 35th and Shields, and having the state build an entertainment district, sort of like what they have in Kansas City, but in the middle, in the middle of it, he was going to put a baseball park in there at the expense of Illinois taxpayers. Or bond, they sell bond, or they do whatever. And that's going on now. And so he's being ripped unmercifully on talk radio, but who cares about that, really? I mean, the Bears get ripped every day. Uh, Justin Fields gets ripped every day. So Ryan Stork could care less if he's getting ripped every day in the on the talk radio. And frankly, I don't. Who cares? So Jerry, in his lifetime, could, assuming they start building pretty quick, I didn't get any younger, could have the state build two ballparks. Hopefully this one is a little nicer. Hopefully this one shows the skyline of the world's most beautiful city. Hopefully it'll be accessible to fans because Jerry says, well, this is kind of funny, and I'm not quoting him directly because I haven't interviewed him for On the Lighter Side of Baseball because he, he won't seem to come on. But if he were to come on, and he got interviewed by Crane Business Newspaper, whatever that is, and he said that he needs that other revenue in order to go after uh, big-time free agents. If he doesn't have a new ballpark and if he doesn't have an entertainment revenue coming in from all around and if he doesn't have the state to pay for it, He's probably going to have to go back and see how the mayor of Nashville is going to treat him. Um, or maybe the mayor of Montreal. I don't think Jerry will go to Canada. Maybe he'll go to New Orleans. Maybe he'll go to Nashville. Maybe he'll go to uh, Vancouver. Uh, although, again, I think last time I checked, most of Vancouver was in Canada. Uh, and so, you know, he could get them to turn this Lot 98 or whatever the hell it is. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere into a mecca for the South Loop. That's his pitch. And Mayor Johnson thinks it's a great pitch, and yeah, why not? Let's build a new ballpark. And frankly, I could care less. I think it, you know, the, the Sox, you know, deserve a good team with a good manager, first-class um, pitching, fielding, da-da-da-da-da. They've kind of been... Can you be half pregnant? They've kind of been there. It's kind of been bad. Now, Ricketts, on the other hand, asked the same thing of the state of Illinois. And the state of Illinois said, go pound sand, go, you know, sell a little more Ameritrade stock, dude. And uh, that's what he did. He bought up a ton of buildings. He did all the, the remediation to uh, Wrigley Field and uh, turned it into a Disneyland of uh, North Chicago. And they draw. And Jerry shakes his head and says, how do they draw? They get more money on TV. They get more money on revenue. They got their own TV station. I tried that. Didn't work. Einhorn tried that. Didn't work. Um, 
I, you know, now I want to put in restaurants outside and share the wealth. I'm all of a sudden, I think, oh, that's a great deal. Look what it's done for other places. I don't know. Um, I've asked him on a couple of occasions over the 10, 12, 15 years, what are you going to do? Uh, what's your exit strategy? Well, one time it was to find some venture capitalists at an investment bank and let them go out and find a bigger group and pay a couple billion dollars for the Bulls and the White Sox. Probably more like $4 billion. If the Royals go for a billion, then uh, the, the White Sox and the Bulls would go for $4 billion. Hands down. $2 billion apiece. Boom. Uh, the next time I asked him, he said his exit strategy was to die. And he's healthy as a horse. About to turn 88, looks good, good guy, very bright, obviously. And uh, he's one of those guys who can smoke two or three cigars a day and apparently doesn't, doesn't affect his health. God love him. And like I said, he's a great guy. He just needs a better publicity agent. Does he want one? Nah, he doesn't care. I don't think. I don't think he cares. Um, in fact, I think he he sort of shies away from getting interviewed too often because it's like gets cross-examined. And like any lawyer, nobody representing Jerry would really let him talk. But he likes to talk a little bit every now and then. And, you know, he's done a lot for the city and for that area around Comiskey Park. And he just won't toot his own horn. But, I mean, he has started youth baseball programs for inner-city kids. It's just unbelievable unbelievably successful and um, so he's a good guy and he has these thoughts and more power to him why <laughs> if he can get away with that why not so um, I say to Jerry and not that he would care what I would say but I would say to Jerry hey go for it but cut the threat to leave you know you're not going to leave don't leave just go get some good talent or sell the team you know better yet and um, and if you want to sell the Bulls, I don't think your son who's running the Bulls cares. But, again, I haven't talked to, to uh, Michael either, so I don't know. You know, right now I suppose it's cool to own sports franchises, and Jerry's cool. You know, good life, good times. And so, anyway, we got that going on in Chicago, which is kind of funny. And at the same time, we have uh, baseball like a month away. So... The, the Cubs have just announced, although it's eight months too late, that they have signed Cody Bellinger to a three-year contract, which really is a one-year contract. When You don't even have to figure much out to figure out that it's a one-year deal. Now, he has $30 million the first year. Again, that means every time he goes to the mailbox every half of a month he gets a lot of money i can't do the math a lot of money 30 million that's what 2.3 million a month oh man tax problems and his poor little agent scott boris there's a dog there's first dog but you know at least bellinger she should have been signed last year to a six-year deal $20 million a year, throw in a $20 million bonus, hoard $140, and you got him for six years. Boom. You know, who's not going to like that? Um, I, I, I would. <laughs> anyway, 
So Bellinger signed a three-year deal with two years of opt-outs. He can opt out after year one, even though he's not going to opt out. He's going to get $30 million. I mean, unless he had 65 home runs and drives in 140 and scores 130 runs, he ain't going to opt out. Look at old Strobo. <laughs> I love it. Thank God Strowman's left. I hope the Yankees have a great time with him. He opted out and then got less money. Ooh. Thank goodness. Wow. So we went out and signed Manajo or Manajo or uh, another fine Japanese product who, you know, hopefully can do it. We need to sign Blake Snell. Now, I go back to um, Boris. At least Bellinger was smart enough not to do what Chris Bryant did, another Boris client. So Chris Bryant decides, screw the Cubs. They, they hosed me and... Um, Boris is still pissed about the Players Association agreeing to the deal two years ago. Still pissed. And, oh, by the way, there's two more years until another war breaks out with the uh, Players Association versus the owners, okay? Uh, 26. Mark that on your calendars. The Players Agreement, the the, uh, Collective Bargaining Agreement goes away in 2026. Boris is not going to be outflanked, outmaneuvered again by the owners. Not going to happen. He's going to figure it out. He's going to get the rank and file. He's going to sign enough young guys to his stable that they will not cave like the young guys caved this time, leaving the executive committee, the Verlanders of the world, the Scherzers of the world, uh, scratching their head going, wait a minute, the executive committee voted against settlement, and yet the rank and file just all sucked it up because, oh, by the way, the MLB outsmarted us, and they gave all these youngsters $800,000 without having to do anything. So anyway, that's that's coming up. But um, what Bellinger did was he goes, I'm not going to watch the calendar flip to another month. I don't want to go deep like Bryant did. I think Bryant went to the middle of March, and he, he had a bad year. Then he got hurt. He had another bad year. He's never had a good year. Whatever they're paying him, he ain't worth it. You know, if the the Rockies ought to be able to opt out. You know, the, the teams ought to be able to opt out. If there was anything fair in this world. So, on for example, Bellinger's got a three-year deal. He can opt out in year two and year three. And by that, he can say to the team, I'm leaving. I don't want the contract. I'm going to go somewhere else, presumably to get more money. Now, under the tit for a tat, why don't Major League Baseball folks have the same deal? For example, Hayward, we paid you $300 million. You are actually performing like a $3 million player. We opt out. We're done. We're, not gonna, we're opting out of your contract. Oh, what do you mean I can't do that? No. You can't opt out. Only I can opt out because you've committed $300 million to me. You've committed a billion dollars to Shohei Otani. You've committed all this money to Mike Trout. You can't back out. You can't opt out. Even if I get hurt, even if I can't hit a curveball, even if I decide that you know my arm doesn't feel good, oh, can't do it. That reminds me, okay, here's my big dog of the year. And, and really, he is performed like a big dog. Big, you know, at least Machado and Harper put up some numbers, man. They were out there. 
you know? They they didn't like, oh, I've got a sore toe. I'm going to take a couple months off, see how everything's going, and I'll be back, maybe. Okay, who am I talking about? Mike Trout's teammate, Rendon. Anthony Rendon. Rendog. Dog, dog. Oh, my God. They're paying him close to 300 mil. And he comes out the other day and says, you know, it's not, my top priority isn't baseball. Artie Moreno, the owner of the California Angels at Los Angeles and Anaheim, somewhere down from Newport Beach in Orange County, or whatever they call them, the Angels. Artie Moreno, what? But it's not your top priority? You didn't say that when we were negotiating as your free agent. You didn't tell me you're not going to be a top priority. It's not your second priority? Well, let's go through your priorities here for a minute. Okay, so your first priority is to your family. Okay, I get that. Uh, your next priority is to your faith. Okay. But isn't there a way that you could mold your faith and your family into really busting your ass to be here every day since we're paying you all this money? No. No. I really don't like baseball. You know, I don't really like baseball. I like my family. I like my faith. I really don't like baseball. Now, it's my job. And so I'll try to do good at my job, sort of. Now, if he were honest with Artie Moreno when they were talking to him as a free agent, this dude would be playing in the Dominican, not in Major League Baseball for $300 million a year. Dog. He's a dog. Uh, you know, the over-under on him, on him being on the DL by May 1st, I'd take the uh, over on those odds. And I'm sure you can bet on that. You can bet on everything. I mean, that's taking over baseball. Betting has taken over everything, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, golf, betting, betting, betting. You heard Andrew on our show the other day. There's like 35 or 40 venues that allow gambling from your home on your phone, including Illinois. And still, the Cubs' little casino hasn't opened. But anyway, you can bet on anything, and that... That makes it so ridiculous that Pete Rose says, I don't even like Pete Rose. He probably bet on baseball. So what? Who hasn't, I bet? Anyway, oh, these guys won't bet on baseball and jeopardize it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Anyway, um, Pete Rose, Joe Jackson, put him in the Hall of Fame. Again, I go through this every year. Why is Roger Maris not in the Hall of Fame? Why is Don Mattingly not in the Hall of Fame? Anyway, there we are. I got so much to talk about. It's going to be so much fun. I can't even begin to tell you how this year is going to be fun. As I said, we're going to get Craig Kashan on as soon as he gets back from spring training. I'm going to grab Dwayne's stats because I'm pumped up, and we're going to talk. And we're going to go on the road. We're going to go on the road a lot, and uh, we'll try to do some remote podcasting, but if we can't, we'll just talk about it when we get back. You know, does it really matter if I'm in the parking lot grilling a brat at whatever they call Miller Park now in Milwaukee, or if I'm here talking about grilling a brat when I was in Milwaukee? And on that front, a couple of my listeners and I are going on a road trip in early May. 
And I encourage anybody that wants to go with us, let me know. I'll buy the tickets, okay? Now, uh, you got to prove to me that you're a loyal listener and that you show up in Chicago on whatever day I tell you. But, um, yeah, if you want to go, uh, the tickets are on me. Now, I may be sitting behind the plate, and you might be in the upper deck in uh, left center field at um, uh, PNC Stadium, PNC Park, but, hey, I'll buy your ticket. Seriously. Come on. I, and I, I do owe somebody, I can't even remember who it was, came up to me and said, hey, you said you'd buy me a barbecue dinner if I could prove to you that I listened to your show. on it, and, and he did, and I haven't. So, Bernie out there, give me a call. I'll buy a barbecue dinner. And if you want to come on the trip, just let me know. We can have a couple car procession. We are going to head from Wrigley Field to Cincinnati, from Cincinnati to Pittsburgh. And then some of us might go on to Philadelphia or Yankee Stadium or wherever the Mets play. But that's kind of the gist of the first road trip of the year. Uh, We're going to get to Milwaukee, and uh, like on this trip, we're going to have fun. Number one, we're taking a cooler. We won't drink on the road, but we're going to tailgate. And what's every tailgate need? Grilling. So we'll throw some charcoal in there. We'll go buy a little mini grill, and uh, we will go have a fun time on the road watching uh, a game at Wrigley, a game in Cincy, and a game in Pittsburgh at the very least. Then some may want to turn around and run back and go to a White Sox game that weekend or head on to New York. We don't know yet. So that, that in and of itself is going to be fun. There are some new rules that came down, stupid new rules. I mean, they, they shortened the pitch clock with nobody on base two seconds. Woohoo. Um, they widened the uh, distance of uh, the, the running lane at first base. Big deal. That always comes into play in the World Series when, oh, my God, they called catchers. They called interference because he ran in the wrong side of the white line. Okay, so now they've remedied that. And I thought they were going to have a new rule that you you had to give a guy a, a lane to slide into second base, but I didn't see that come down the pike. So um, anyway, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back from the break, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, – uh, Belly joining the Cubs and what I think is going to happen with the uh, the Cubs this year. So just hang on. Don't go anywhere. It's good to be back, and uh, we will talk in just a few minutes. So enjoy the music, and uh, we will talk to you on the other side. Okay, we're back on the latter side of baseball for the final few minutes. We came out rocking for the first part of the show, and we're going to rock back asleep. Not really. Uh, we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, um, Negro League Baseball, and how it affected the major leagues after Jackie Robinson uh, basically broke the color barrier. Now, it's certainly, we've talked before about how it affected the careers and the ability to play of everybody that came after him of African-American descent. Uh, and, of course, everybody knows Dave Nelson, my buddy Nelly, and um, how it affected him and how he struggled uh, 
uh, a lot with some of the abuse that he took in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, his mom, like many, many mothers of African-American players, reminded Dave uh, that Jackie did what he did for him and for others. And uh, don't get caught up in little petty stuff like when they throw after you, you know, play a good game in the minor league park that you're in, they throw urine on you. Don't don't let that bother you. Now, it would bother me. <laughs> it would bother anybody. But those guys in the 60s, 50s and 60s, had to be cool. They had to be like Jackie. And uh, Billy Williams was another guy. It's legendary. If you watch, there's some really good documentaries. The... the uh, the Buck O'Neill show, uh, all that jazz or uh, whatever. I mean, he loved jazz, and Kansas City uh, certainly is the home of the uh, Negro League Museum, and it was the home of the Jazz Museum. That didn't make it, but the Negro League Museum has skyrocketed with Bob Kendrick and his work that he's done, and uh, really because of uh, Buck O'Neill. And uh, Buck got in last year on the veteran side of things at the Hall of Fame, and that was great. Now, I want to talk a little bit about another guy that I've talked about a lot, and that is 11 weeks after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier with the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and Branch Rickey, and there have been movies made of it, and there have been lots of stories written about it. Uh, Branch Rickey signing Jackie Robinson, uh, to a contract with Montreal, the Dodgers farm team. We played up there for a month and then came and joined the team uh, in the Major Leagues, Brooklyn Dodgers. And, you know, he went on to be Rookie of the Year, and, my God, he was great. Anyway, on the other side, back then there were two leagues. You, you probably don't remember that because the other leagues sort of have molded into one another. I'm kidding. You remember it. But anyway, the American League had not had an African-American in it in the league until one Larry Doby. Larry Doby played in the Negro Leagues, and then he was signed by Bill Veck to a contract with the Cleveland Indians. And Larry Doby um, was called up to the major leagues, but Veck decided that he would rather have him play his first games in Chicago perhaps a little bit more liberal community. <laughs> anyway, pretty funny. But if anybody thought that uh, an African-American would be treated better in Chicago than Cleveland, eh, I guess so. They knew better. Well, he gets to Comiskey Park, um, and nobody will talk to him in the Cleveland locker room. Then nobody will play catch with him in the Cleveland club in, out in the field. And then he needed a glove because he was an outfielder, but he could play first base, and he was going to play first base that day. And nobody on Cleveland would give him a glove. True story. And it was only when uh, one of the White Sox first basemen threw a glove over to Larry Doby that he was able to go out to first base with a baseball glove, fitting of playing first base. That's where, that's where things were at that time in, uh, in the 40s in America. Sad. Won't go through the civil rights movement day by day, but suffice it to say, uh, it, it was not a great era in American history. So, Dobie has a 
Very good career. Very good career. And finally, he is recognized by the current administration and awarded the Congressional Gold Medal on what would have been his 100th birthday, the highest award a civilian can get in the United States of America. And it was presented by uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, Michael Johnson. Anyway, Larry's son was there for the tribute and the wife of the other fellow that's featured on this gold coin. And so when the gold coin is designed, it has certain criteria, as you could imagine, to meet with the um, pomp and circumstance of the highest award ever to be given to a civilian. And, you know, they didn't think at first blush that Larry Doby being hugged by a white guy was the thing to put on the back of this coin. And it took Larry's son many, many, many months of persuasion to get the government and the minting facility okay with that. And it happened. And it's pretty cool. And I didn't hear about it. And I kind of follow a little bit of stuff. I follow, I follow politics a little bit, and I follow um, baseball a lot. And so I just couldn't understand what the deal was. And, and so the story, as told by Adobe's son, was that when they won the pennant in 1948 with Larry Doby and a great team, I think they won 116 games and then they, maybe 104. Lou Boudreaux was the player manager, shortstop. They lost, I think, to the Giants. I think that's the series, you know, the 54 I'm thinking of, sorry. Anyway, I think it was 48 that they also won the pennant and maybe it was 54, but if I did research, I could straighten it out. I'm not going to do that, at least not today. I don't want to stop. I've pushed the button. We've had our music. We've had our break. We're going on. We are going on. So anyway, he hits a home run in the World Series, and maybe it was 54. And he is hugged dramatically in the clubhouse by one Steve Gromek, G-R-O-M-E-K. Steve Gromack. So if you look at the Congressional Gold Coin, which is on display somewhere, or if you Google it, Larry Doby, Congressional Gold Coin, you'll see on the back side this beautiful coin commemorating the life of Larry Doby as he's hugged by a teammate of Caucasian descent. So I started thinking, I've never heard of this guy, Steve Gromek. And again, with the caveat that, not that I followed baseball in the 40s and 50s, but I did in the late 50s, I'd never heard of this guy. So I'm thinking, okay, he's a nice guy, and, and he was friends with Larry Doby, and that makes him a cool guy. 
and all that good stuff. And then I started looking at the stats. These guys, now, a lot of these stats were because of World War II and Korea. So he played Steve Gromek, who I'd never heard of, who was on this Freedom Coin because of this spectacular image of him and Larry Doby hugging after Doby hit a home run. He played 17 years of Major League Baseball. He played with Cleveland for a long, long time. And then he played with Detroit. And um, those were the two teams he played for. This guy won 123 games. He's not going to get in the Hall of Fame with that. Lost 108. He had a whip over 17 years of 1.2. This guy was a stud. I never heard of him. So I go back and I look for his 53 Topps baseball card. Nah, he cut a deal with Bowman. He wasn't in the Topps 53 set. But I got him in the 57. I got him in 56. And I can find him in the 55 Topps, which I like to do. I like to go back and see these guys in the baseball cards, see if I have any of the baseball cards. Because um, baseball cards are absolutely the best way to learn baseball. Absolutely. In the 50s and 60s. Nah, eh. I don't know anything about these new cards. They're, they're so expensive, and they've got so many different kinds of sets. But this guy was, um, was really a stud. And then in, the, uh, in, in addition to that, he was like a very good guy to his teammate, Larry Doby. And not everybody was a good guy to these guys that were breaking in you know, to the color barrier. So anyway, hats off to Gromack and his family. His wife is still alive. And that's a cool story. So look it up. It's a neat picture. And um, it just kind of symbolizes what kind of guy Larry Doby was. And uh, he, he he's a stud. He is a stud. So anyway, that's the Larry Doby story. Um, I believe Larry's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, now, with that, I'm going to pause, and let's check that out. All right, we're back on Larry Doby. And as one would expect, if you've listened to me for six years now, you'd know that, you know, I'm generally right. I've been wrong a few times. Pumsy Green, my buddy in Kansas City, pointed out that Pumsy Green didn't play the position I thought. I can't even remember. I guess he was a center fielder. I thought he was a second baseman. Maybe he was a second baseman. I thought he was a center fielder. I don't know. Uh, Doby. Broke in in 1947, second, first player to play uh, across the color barrier in the American League. And in 1948, he did, in fact, play in the World Series. That's where Steve Gromek hugged him because they won the World Series in six games. Woo-hoo. That's right. They beat the Braves, the Milwaukee Braves. Now, that's pretty cool. In addition, he was the first African-American to hit home run in the World Series. Hit 317 in the World Series. Got a couple 22 hits. I think he had a big, big time. Then I think he had to be in the World Series in 54. He was still with Cleveland. He became the second African-American to manage a baseball team after, I believe, Frank Robinson was the first. This guy was a stud. He played for the White Sox a little bit. I remember, uh, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't know who he was, but I remember that he was on the White Sox team in the times that I followed him, which would have been 57 or 58 or 59. 
and um, he was just a uh, really good player and a really good um, member of the Chicago White Sox. In fact, we're going to uh, pull up his uh, stats and um, see if we can find Larry, Larry Doby's career because he was in the class of 1998, played 1,670 games, and he was sold to the Cleveland Indians by the Negro League team in Newark. Pretty cool. And um, we're going to have his stats some other time. But uh, he was with the White Sox in 59 when they won the pennant. I remember, I knew there was a reason. He was with the White Sox 56 and 57. That's a great era. Bob Keegan pitched a no-hitter in 1957. I could go on. I could go on. But I want to address the next three weeks. we got spring training, and then at the end of March, the end of March, I believe, the um, baseball season gets underway in earnest. The Cubs play the uh, Rangers, as I said. And then they come home and face the Rockies for three. And then the weekend, first weekend in April, the Cubs play the Dodgers. Now, it's going to be fun to watch the Dodgers. Will they lose 50 games? Don't know. Um, if they only lost 50 games, what, with 162, that would give them 112 wins. Not bad. We'll follow that. We'll follow the uniforms. We'll follow Mr. Reinsdorf. And uh, we'll look forward to getting on the road uh, in May and heading to Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, two ballparks that I really want to see. I'm also this year, hopefully, going to see uh, go to Detroit. I haven't seen that stadium. And go to Minnesota. I haven't seen that stadium. So that's my goal. We'll see how it comes out. But in the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, I know when I'm alone here at the Hub, it's spectacular, but when I have somebody with me, it's even more spectacular. So I'm going to try to get a few people again. And uh, like I said, we're just going to have fun talking about some of the lighter things in baseball. But, oh, thank goodness the Cubs signed Bellinger. Man, I, I wasn't so sure that was going to happen with Scott Boris. You never know what he's going to do. They've still got, still got Blake Snell sitting out there. The Cubs need Blake Snell. Now, they're probably not going to go get Blake Snell. They need Blake Snell. They need Snell. Um, they need another pitcher. They don't have a they, – they they really huh, – I don't know. We need, you know, Drew Smiley to come around and – I don't know. Uh, they, they need pitching help. They didn't get it. They signed one kid from Japan, but we'll see. That's all I got for today. Now, we're going to try to broadcast, as we say, drop a program, as we say, uh, every week until the World Series when the Cubs beat the Astros. So until then, uh, we'll talk next week. We'll see what's going on. It's spring training. You know, the, the big stories are who gets hurt. You know, and, and so far, the Mets, bad luck continues. I think the one guy they paid a lot of money from, Senga or somebody like that, he's out for the year. Um, you know, 
Looks like Chris Sale's going to have a big year with the Braves. The Braves are going to be tough. That's going to be good. They're, you know, there's some good teams. And then, of course, you got the Rays. They're always good. The Orioles, they got rid of their doggy owner, Angelos, and so um, they've got a, a new rich uh, investment group that owns the team. And they were, they've were they had the best record in the American League last year, so they'll probably improve on that. Toronto's looking good. The American League seems to be a little more fun. The Cubs division, the Brew Crew went south. They went backwards. The uh, Reds are going to be good. The Pirates went south. And um, uh, so you've got the Cubs, the Brewers, the Reds, and the Pirates. And um, God, is that all? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, we'll follow that. We'll follow the uh, Central closely in the American League and in the National League. The Twins, the White Sox, the Tigers, the Royals, and the Indians. So I'm missing one in the, uh, in the National League. We got the Cubs, the Brew Crew, the Pirates, the Reds, and help me out, somebody call. I mean, I guess I can look at the standings. How am I drawing a blank on uh, on the Midwest? Wow. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, folks, I'm sure you're just amazed at the grasp I have of uh, these teams. But I will endeavor to find out what is going on with the my brain and tell you who is uh, in the National League Central and, and just next week. Why am I not thinking of that? Pirates, Reds, Cubs, Brewers. It's got to be one other team. I'll come up with it. When I do, you'll be the last to know. So on behalf of all those stations that I talk about, Jamie Retzke signing off on yet another exciting spring training 2024 and on to the season, which will be a lot more fun to talk about than who gets hurt in spring training. That's it. Be good. Hit it straight. Mm-hmm.